Hello, everyone, and welcome to our monthly podcast entitled Softer Landing Forecast. It is the 13th of February. My name is Lorna Denny, and I'm joined today by Seamus Lyons and Alex Byrne. Markets have rebounded in 2023, and fears of a deeper recession have fast become a thing of the past. Hopes are growing for a softer economic landing, and that despite persistently hawkish central bank rhetoric. Today, we weigh the chances of a soft landing for the major Western economies, particularly following the reopening of China. We also review our tactical asset allocation in response to these more buoyant markets. Seamus, if you could please set the scene for us with this strong start for markets in the year so far. Hi, Lorna. Yeah, sure. So indeed, both equity and bond markets have started the year pretty buoyant fashion. So we're seeing double digit gains in many of the equity markets. Bond markets have seen their yields fall and their prices rise in all areas. Why? Well, there's a growing comfort among investors that inflation is now almost under control and that central banks will not need to tighten interest rates or remain as hawkish as was feared for much of last year. In addition, there's also renewed optimism around China and its reopening following the removal of their zero COVID policy last year. So yeah, maybe looking at the markets in a bit more detail. So the Eurozone, that's done particularly well this year. Uh, this is on the back of a milder winter, which has led to lower gas prices and now there's, there's a better likelihood of a recession there can be avoided. Emerging markets in Asian equities, they've also seen a good start to the year. And this again is on the back of the China reopening and positive prospects there. We've seen growth stocks. They had a pretty tough 2022. They've enjoyed a very good start to the year. And this is on the back of the interest rate environment, which is looking less bleak for them. And then within the bond space, we mentioned how bonds have had a good year so far. So the US 10-year treasury is up over 3% in January. 10-year bond in Germany is up over 2.5%. Uh, in the corporate world, credit spreads have tightened. And this has helped everything from investment grade to high yield do very well. Emerging market debt as well has seen a big resurgence after what was a very difficult 2022 for that particular asset class. In the currency markets, the dollar has continued to weaken. It was very much the big currency of last year. It did really well for the first nine months of the year, but it's begun to weaken recently on, on the back of potential nearing the end of the US rate hiking cycle. And so, yeah, in summary, central banks no longer seem to dominate the headlines as much as they did. And markets seem to be somewhat less fixated on inflation and recession risks. But I guess the question is, have they been too quick to move on for some of these key issues? That was a very comprehensive summary, and thank you for that. You mentioned inflation. If we start with that one, it was one of the most discussed and feared topics in 2022. And data so far this year all seem to have been heading the right way. That's indicating that inflation has peaked and is falling quite sharply. Do you believe we can now feel more relaxed about inflation, that in fact disinflation has now started? Yes. So as you pointed out, inflation has generally been improving in the key developed economies for a number of months now. In most of the recent monthly CPIs that we've seen, the figures come in much lower than expected as well. So it's falling faster than had been anticipated. And indeed, this has been a key driver for equity and bond markets in recent months. As also what's been key about it is that they're not really focusing on the level of inflation, but the direction of the inflation prints themselves. And you know, this is a very positive story. Nonetheless, despite this improving backdrop, you know, Western central banks, they've really maintained their hawkish rhetoric. The ECB, the European Central Bank in particular, they've been very keen recently to forecast further interest rates are coming and they're going to be coming at a stable pace. The Fed's also been very adamant that there are more rate hikes to come as well for them to get the job done. So why is there this bit of a disconnect and why are these central banks still remaining so hawkish? Well, it's because whilst inflation is improving, 
Powell even said last week that this inflation is now likely started. The issue remains that inflation is still running well above the target of 2%. And in addition, whilst we're getting from the peak of, say, 9% or so in the US down towards the current levels, which is around 6.5%, and likely we're going to have 4 or 5% you know, in the coming months, this is the easier part of the journey in bringing inflation down, where you're at 4 or 5% inflation down towards the target level of 2 This is predicted to be the most difficult part. And this is the part the central banks remain most worried about. And so whilst we can certainly feel a bit more comfortable about inflation than we did, I think it's probably a bit premature to forget about it. And that's why central banks are not forgetting about it. And this means there may well be some complacency markets with regards to the path of interest rates from here. Specifically, they may need to go a little bit higher or at least stay at these elevated levels for longer than is currently assumed. And so neither of these outcomes is particularly good for equity or bond markets. No, quite. And financial markets appear to be assuming that inflation has peaked and will fall very quickly. And then that the pivot in interest rates is now fast approaching. Yeah, so given the moves that we've seen in markets in recent months, markets, you know, they're certainly sensing that interest rates are close to peaking and a pivot may not be that far away. The US yield curve is currently sitting at its most inverted in over 40 years. So, I mean, this is a sure sign that investors believe that rates will be falling at some point in the not too distant future. But all of this does not square very well with what we continue to hear from the central bankers. They remain very steadfast in their hawkishness. So, you know, most communications you see and hear from these guys, they are hawkish. So they've not eased on that rhetoric. So something's going to need to give at some point. The markets are betting that the Fed and other central banks will prove less hawkish than they present themselves. However, if markets are wrong on this, then we can probably expect another bout of market volatility as expectations on rates will need to be reset again. Yes, we'll come back to that inverted yield curve a bit later on. But the threat of recession might well have diminished in the US. And as you say, the Fed has stated that a softer landing is possible. Nonetheless, interest rates generally are at the highest level since the global financial crisis. And you referred to it earlier, the European Central Bank seems keen to predict that higher rates still. Alex, does this risk tipping the European economies in particular into recession? If we look at Europe, we have to think about the ECB. The ECB should be somewhat more balanced. As we discussed previously, pressures have a much more strong secondary effect from Russia's illegal war in Ukraine, both geographically and economically. However, many of the same trends Seamus has already alluded to are evident when you look at Europe. Nevertheless, at its latest rate-setting meeting, the ECB raised interest rates by 0.5% and explicitly signalled at least another of the same magnitude next month. This latest rise takes the rate to 2.5% well below the current US level, in perhaps because of that Ukraine effect. They also, however, stated that after this likely rise in March, there would be a revaluation. This has, in the market's eyes at least, opened the door for either a pause or a slower rate hike after March. In my view, this potential revaluation is a significant signal of the balance we have long forecast. We enter a period where the bank and most central banks must begin to weigh up how high and how persistent inflation will be, and conversely, how high rates will need to be to combat it. Alongside this, however, they need to understand how much of a constraint this will have on the economy. There is a delicate balance because too high and too constraining and the economy and demand crash and likely inflation with it. You could have a situation with a highly exacerbated crashing of inflation This is what the central banks need to try and avoid. Yes, that is indeed the risk. But if the European economies also did achieve a soft landing with no recession, their equity markets notoriously have a strong cyclical bias. Should we be expecting a boost to European equity performance to continue from here? 
We certainly could see that potential. And there is a plethora of industries and sectors in Europe that you would anticipate would benefit from the period we may be entering. The first group of those cyclicals being commodity cyclicals have already obviously been experiencing a significant bounce earlier in 2022. And with the prices of many of these coming down, it needs to be taken into some caution. However, specific commodity industries may yet see highly increased demand. Companies where the material is used in consumer products, things like cars, white goods or tech, could benefit from increased consumer demand. This brings us to consumer cyclicals. If the recession is indeed shallower and we see a recovery which supports consumer discretionary spending, these areas of the market will upgrade forecasts and earnings. Finally, we have financials, which normally benefit from periods of increased economic activity, twinning that with higher rates environments, which is likely to persist and they could continue to outperform. And staying with you, Alex, China has reopened its economy and appears to be experiencing a front-end loaded recovery that is a pretty rapid rebound. The potential uplift to the emerging Asian economies is clear, but could this additionally give a boost to Japan's economy? Indeed, it would be a huge advantage for the global economy more widely, as it has been during a few other periods of economic decline globally. But Japan would certainly benefit from an increase in orders and demand from China, as well as a return of the Chinese tourist. Japan's Central Bank is the outlying developed market bank, with rates near to zero and remaining where they were before the global inflation rise. But there has been some small changes to other central bank mechanisms, which, in addition to a perceived slowing US Fed, has strengthened the Japanese yen more recently, something which may continue. It's important to understand however, the very different context of where Japan is and where it's coming from. That is an extended period of deflation and low growth and activity. The bank, therefore, is even more aware of its navigation of its potential side effects, stifling inflation and demand. There are, though, in the next few months, events which may cause some increased potential for broader changes, at least by a Japanese standard. We see a change in central bank governor soon and some key decisions on other more structural inflation drivers. Yes, it's certainly a situation to be watching quite closely. You mentioned potential support for the yen from tighter policy, and the yen's strength has been one of a number of factors that are pulling down the US dollar index, which of course peaked last autumn. Seamus, what are the consequences of the weaker dollar for the US and indeed other economies? Yeah, sure. Good question. So typically a weaker US dollar is seen as a net positive for global growth. So it is the international trading currency for most goods and services. And so a lower rate is beneficial to most economies. So many countries and corporates, particularly those in emerging markets, they borrow in US dollar. So the weaker it is, the easier it is for them to pay back and finance those debts. It also helps in the commodity world. So a key issue last year in 2022 was not just the spiraling cost of oil and energy, but the fact that the US dollar was appreciating rapidly at the same time, because if this pushed prices even higher for when they were paid in euros or pounds, for instance. That said, you know, any material depreciation of the dollar is not ideal either. But history is showing us that a weaker dollar generally helps prop up the global economy. And it's no surprise that the strength we have seen in markets in recent months has also coincided with the period of weakness in the US dollar. So if there is to be no recession and perhaps even a pickup in growth forecasts, as we saw from the IMF, are you surprised that the government bond markets have shown the strength that we've seen year to date? Yes, uh, that's a fair point. It is somewhat surprising, given that when equities are typically doing well, and which is often driven by an improving economic kind of outlook, then bonds should be doing less well. But let's just take a step back and look at the factors which have been driving equities and bond markets in the last couple of years, a factor which has made them highly correlated, when historically they should be negatively correlated. And so this comes back to the issues of high and elevated inflation, increasing interest rate, and, and we can also turn to the mix, the, the removal of quantitative easing, which has been around for many, many years. These are all 
of factors which influence equities and bonds at the same time and drive them in the same direction. So, you know, we have different factors driving bond markets at the moment. Bond investors are focused on improving dynamics on the rates front, on the inflation front, and this is what's influencing them. So whilst there is potential for better growth prospects ahead, they're more focused right now on better dynamics in rates and inflation, and hence why we're seeing bond markets do well at the same time as equity markets. However, as the cycle matures and we will get back into more, should we call it, normal times, we should expect to see the old correlations return. We should expect to see, you know, when equity markets are strong and the economy is strong, bond markets will probably be weaker. Yes, indeed. We'll await that moment. As you mentioned earlier, the inverted yield curve, and that can be a a harbinger, a predictor of a growth recession. How confident do you feel, Alex, in any sparks of recovery? We still feel we're in a very much uncertain period, which could go either way. What's changed recently is the depths of a potential recession have shallowed. That isn't saying there isn't going to be one, or even if there isn't, there may still be individual industry-specific recessions. But the market's trying to look through this to the other side. We must think about what the markets have already priced in when we look at equities, and that looks something like a soft landing. Although the natural position in rates may be lower, they're not likely to be anywhere near as low as they have been historically. The market sees some cuts over the next 12 to 18 months, but that isn't going to take them anywhere near the 0.25-0.5% where they have been for a decade. And the shallower a recession is perceived to be, the less impetus there is on the central banks to cut rates to support the economy. However, slightly lower or at least not increasing rates is good for equities, as is a more positive market outlook. Not positive, but at least less negative perhaps. It's always difficult to work out what markets have or haven't discounted. But in the light of all this, then, Seamus, what adjustments have we made to our tactical asset allocation? Yes, sure. So with double digit gains from many markets so far this year, our sense is that we've probably got a bit of ahead of ourselves in the near term. However, given the improving outlook that we've kind of discussed for, for much of today's call, our preference is to maintain a neutral allocation to equities for now. So we haven't changed anything there. However, within equities, we have got more positive in certain areas. So now we favor Ajax Japan or emerging markets. So since the reopening of the Chinese economy, uh, you know, following the removal of the zero COVID policy, we believe that economic activity there is going to continue to increase. And it should bring uh, the region a period of relative outperformance versus other key markets. On the other side, we remain relatively less positive on U.S. equities. We just sense that they no longer have the support of tailwind of the strong dollar that they had and a lot of the growth stocks that dominate the market there may continue to face a more difficult environment given elevated interest rates. In the bond space, we've been neutral duration for a while. We continue to be neutral duration. We do like certain areas within the bond market. So for instance, we like emerging market debt. This is an area we've gone overweight in recently. It faced a very difficult uh, 2022, but a lot of the headwinds that were there, particularly the strong dollar, have receded somewhat. And so we think it's attractive. We've liked investment grade credit for a while. It's done very, very well and spreads tightened, but we still see some attractive valuations. Specifically, we like these asset classes for the carry that they offer. And by carry, I mean the attractive levels of yields available on both asset classes at present. They offer very attractive levels of carry now after yields increased dramatically last year. It now means that bonds in general are more attractive. But these are two areas in particular where we see a lot of value. And so, yeah, that's our key views at the moment. Thank you both very much indeed. Thank you, Lorna. Thank you, Lorna.